Hello, and welcome to this episode of Not a Lady, a Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman podcast. My name is Kelly. And I'm Sarah. And this is episode four of season two, titled The Incident. And before we talk about the incident, and also before we talk about lessons from Halloween, I have very exciting news to all Dr. Quinn fans. Thank you so much to listener Megan, who messaged us to let us know that the streaming service called Pluto TV has the first three seasons of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman with ads for free. You don't have to have an account. You can just log on to their website, search for Dr. Quinn, and they have the first three seasons on demand. And I'm thrilled to Woo-hoo. have discovered this um, because we didn't tell you guys, but I moved <laughs> to the Pacific and it's actually been a little bit of a nightmare trying to get access to Dr. Quinn here. So thank you, Megan, for saving Not A Lady podcast a little bit, or at least my end of it. But also we're very excited to share that with some of you because we know some of you don't have Amazon Prime accounts and some of you may not have the DVDs. So that was super exciting. A really crazy little thing that I I wanna talk about that we haven't talked about too is, this is so fascinating, Kelly, on Pluto, the episodes are in a different order. At first, I thought they must be in the logical viewing order. They're a little bit different. Some of them are the same as the logical viewing order, which I think the logical viewing order is actually a fan-made we, we do know that CBS broadcast the show in a different order than it was technically supposed to be released if it, if it was chronologically correct. And then for some reason, when they produced the DVDs, they released in the order that they were broadcast, which is, we know, has some, creates some timeline goofs, I guess. I don't know what word to right. use for it. But anyway... The on Pluto TV, they are not in the broadcast order, and it looks like they are mostly they mostly follow the logical viewing order. But there are some things switched around. But I think Pluto TV might know something that we don't know. Like I have to wonder if Pluto <laughs> TV doesn't have the original like intended chronological order. Obviously, I haven't watched all of season one on Pluto yet because I just found out about it but it was super interesting to me to compare Pluto's order to the logical viewing order which seems to mostly line up but um yeah probably some of you fans will go and you can do a really like detailed analysis of how they do or don't match up to the logical viewing order speaking of the logical viewing order though we haven't talked about it Mostly because I kind of didn't feel like anything has stuck out, you know, in what we've watched so far. I mean, we're only on episode four today. So nothing really stuck out to be like, hmm, this order doesn't fit. However, it may come to play later in the logical viewing order for season two. The season two opener is The Race. However, there are two episodes, The Offering and Saving Souls, which we haven't got to yet, that are put in as supposed to come before Sanctuary. And then there's an episode called The Orphan Train, which we haven't got to yet, that is is on this list as being 
after Sanctuary and before Halloween. And then Halloween and the incident are marked as being back-to-back episodes. So that's just interesting to know. And like I said, I don't think from our viewing that we've noticed anything super obvious so far of season two. We've only watched four episodes. We can hope that it's not as obvious as season one. (laughs) Write us about what you think. Does Pluto TV know something we don't know about what the original chronological order of Dr. Quinn was supposed to be? At least for the first three seasons. It's a theory. Yeah. Now that I've mentioned that very excitedly, we cannot forget about our lessons. Didn't have a ton of lessons from Halloween, but our faithful OG fan sent us an email. And I love when you guys take notes while you're listening to the podcast and then send them to us. It's just really fun to like try and figure out what comment pertains to what. So it was very fun to read. But she said, I guess I learned that I was Team Sully this episode, which, hey, snaps everywhere to Team Sully. We're definitely Team Sully. (laughs) She also said, Michaela learned that if she's needing permission from Abigail, whether it was a dream or not, she's now acknowledging it's more than just an easygoing friendship with Sully, which is something I don't think we talked about a ton, but it is true. We're kind of wondering why Abigail is even appearing, whether it's something that is actually happening or it's something that Dr. Mike feels you know, she's struggling with internally. So then she starts having these dreams, visions, whatever you want to call them. But it is a good point that that is kind of acknowledging that she feels she does need permission from Abigail. And I think we all know that her and Sully are close at this point, but it's one of the first times we've had Dr. Mike actually admit, well, not outwardly admit, but kind of walk us through what maybe is going on in her head and what she's dealing with emotionally, internally. So thank you guys for writing in. As always, remember, you can do it for this episode, too. We love hearing from you guys. You guys are really faithful listeners, and so we would love to hear from you again. But without further ado, Sarah, would you like to get us started? Season 2, Episode 4, The Incident, aired on the 6th of November, 1993. It was directed by Chuck Bowman. This is his 10th episode, and it was written by... Sarah Davidson, this is her sixth of 24 episodes. And of course, Beth Sullivan gets creator credit. And we open on our classic Dr. Quinn wildlife stock footage. (laughs) (laughs) Got some deer. And we also have Sully and various Cheyenne in the woods. And they are hunting. They do have this kind of parallel going. They have the the Cheyenne hunting party, and then they also have our townsfolk hunting party, which is like the dorkiest group ever because it's Lauren and Horace and Jake. And I had a flashback, which this does get brought up later in the episode, but I was like, when's the last time we've seen this group? Not all of them, but together, and I'm like flashing back to the skunk and I laughed because I was like (laughs) so funny to see them in the woods together that laughter and the joy of that reminder does not last very long (laughs) unfortunately but it was a nice little throwback and they will throw back to it even within the episode one of the things also that was funny is we know Horace is not a woodsy guy at all which they make very clear in this episode and I have to give credit I don't know if this was the director choice or it was Frank Collison's but Horace goes, are you sure they passed this way? I don't see any tracks. Like, that's his line. 
And I don't know if anyone noticed this, but he's looking up, like, into the trees. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, he's like, I, I didn't, didn't see that. any tracks. And at first I was like, well, that's a really poor performance choice, right? I was like, that's so dumb. And then it hit me that it's probably an intentional performance choice to just show how out of his element element yeah horace is because <laughs> and then lauren says like you wouldn't even know you know deer tracks if they hit you in the face which is kind of funny because he's yeah he's looking at the sky and saying i don't see any tracks i didn't even notice that <laughs> i don't know what that says about me but <laughs> this opening scene i mean it definitely sets us up like we know what's coming yeah when jake shoots i don't think any of us had a doubt in our mind what was about to happen. I think what they could have built the tension a little bit for us because we know. I mean, we don't know if anyone's going to die, but we know kind of what's going to happen. I think it would have been cool if they had tried to make us not sure if it was Sully or not. For the drama? Yeah, well, not because the Cheyenne who's killed Little Eagle, um, not because his life is any less valuable, but obviously we don't actually meet his character until after, you know? Or if, if Cloud Dancing had been with him, then the, they could have created some sort of tension. Like, no one think, no viewer thinks that he's shooting at a deer. But, like, this fear of who who did he shoot, it, it's kind of revealed very quickly because we see Sully hear the shot. Right. Like, I think it would have built more tension if we see Sully behind a bush and we see the others behind a bush and then we see him shoot and then we don't know who's been hit. From a storytelling perspective, I feel like that would have instilled a, a level of fear and horror that we don't know who just got shot, much less if they died. I guess I should backtrack a little bit. He sees movement and... There's no confirmation ever of what he is shooting at, but the men run over after he's shot his gun and they find that he has shot a Cheyenne. <sighs> Unfortunately, it seems that Jake has no real remorse and before they can really f decide what to do, because Horace determines that he's dead, the Cheyenne have now reached in a close vicinity and you know, have kind of used deductive reasoning to see what's happened and actually start shooting at them. And as Lauren, Horace, and Jake are running away, Horace gets hit by an arrow in his arm, but they quickly ride away. And then after they've gone is when Sully comes and discovers what's happened. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that Lauren is the one who, as soon as they discover the Cheyenne man is dead, he says, let's clear out. They don't want to be around when people find out, which is horrible. But then Horace, the reason Horace actually gets shot is because he stay, He doesn't run. He tries to explain. He actually says, like, we didn't mean to hurt him. But obviously the hunting party is horrified. In sense, they don't actually know what happened for sure, which will come up because it turns out they kind of do know they saw him shoot, but they didn't see, obviously, what happened until after, because later it will be revealed that they know who made the shot, even though at first they don't know what was shot. So obviously we, as the viewer, recognize huge amount of conflict 
that is boiling over at the very top of this episode. Our title sequence plays and we are in the clinic where Lauren and Jake bring in the injured Horace. I know you probably want to talk about the medical side of it. I will just kind of mention what happens dialogue-wise in the scene. Jake and Horace don't want anyone to find out the truth of what happened. They lie and say that there was an ambush. They very, not subtly, pretty much tell Horace to keep his mouth shut in front of Dr. Mike. And then she steps out of the room and they kind of guilt trip him into keeping quiet. There's some dialogue here that is really, really infuriating. Jake says, it's just an Indian there's some emotional manipulation where both yeah. of them use the word friend, like your friends, your are, friends counting. are counting on yeah. you. And poor Horace, we we can't be mad at him because we know what Jake and Lauren are like. And we also know what Horace is like. And so they have this whole conversation where Horace is like, I don't want to lie. It's against my principles. And, you know, Lauren's like, you don't have to lie. Just leave leave that part out. And I flash back to, Kelly, do you remember um, the VeggieTales, Larry Boy and the Giant Fib or whatever? <laughs> what is that episode yeah. called? Where it's like the lie is a plant and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Shout out to VeggieTales. I just looked kids. it up. Larry Boy and the Fib from Outer Space. There you go. <laughs> All about lying. They, the fact is, though, Jake and Lauren can't keep their story straight either. It was six Indians. It was ten Indians. Yeah, it's it's growing. It's being embellished over time quickly. But why don't we talk about, because I'm very interested to learn... I don't know anything about chlorine water except a pool. So she, that is one of the first things she asks for is chlorine water to, to dress the wound. Well, think about, they obviously don't have access to things that we have to today. But I mean, what you're saying about chlorine is correct, right? We think of chlorine and we think of it killing parasites, bacteria, viruses. We know that um, there's small amounts of chlorine in our drinking water too. And so um, at this point, I think it's just her best, her best way to have a disinfectant to make sure that his wound doesn't get infected or cause him sepsis. Now I will be honest and admit that I'm not sure like if somebody came into the ER that I'm working in with an arrow in their arm, like I'm not really sure exactly how I would go about that. <laughs> Obviously kind of rare. I don't know. Maybe not where I am right now, but <laughs> I don't know. I feel like people have watched enough Grey's Anatomy to know that if there's something, an object in you, a foreign object, whether that's by blunt force or any other type of wound, like I think a lot of people know like, oh, you don't want to remove it on your own because in a lot of cases, you bleed more. Well, it's keeping you from, yeah, not bleeding out. So as soon as you remove that obstruction, your body is going to probably have vessels that have been broken that now are going to bleed. So yeah, I think she, the idea is to kind of cut the arrow shorter so it's easier to remove and then she goes for it. And I do think that a lot of times, especially with foreign objects, I mean, it's all about how big it is. It's all about location, right? Like certain things people are going to remove in the operating room because the risk of bleeding and the risk of complications are very high. In this case, I don't know. I mean, that would really hurt. I just think about an arrowhead and I think about it coming out the opposite direction and I just think like, dang, yeah, I would scream too, Horace. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
we don't get a ton of medical stuff going on here other than she uses the chlorine water, she cuts it, and then she removes it. I guess this is my question. What even what even is chlorine? Like, I don't really know. It's, it's on the periodic table of elements, so it's a chemical element. Mm. It can be a gas, it can be liquid, it can be solid. I mean, it has, it's like kind of like any other element. I don't, I'm not saying that in like a degrading way. I'm just saying like, that's what I know about it. I really say don't really know. You know, I think a lot of people like confuse chlorine with bleach, which is, is different, right? Um, Chlorine is a natural element. Bleach is a solution of combination of elements. So interesting (laughs) it's honestly a disinfectant that we still use today because we know that it protects against bacteria parasites viruses things like that how she got it i don't know if she had it mailed as a solid and i'm not really sure how she would have is it good for the wound or is it gonna sting it's all about concentration right like Uh... i'm sure that it's not straight chlorine because like i said i mean water chlorination is common for even drinking water and things like that especially in a lot of third world countries where you have cholera and dysentery and typhoid and stuff so i'm not really sure to be honest what kind of concentration she's using but i think it's it's true that we haven't seen a lot of antibacterial because we talked about germ theory and that it wasn't really set in stone at this point in time so i think it's probably one of her only agents she knows can be an antibacterial I don't know if it stung Horace or not. <laughs> right. That I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I'm to be honest, I'm sure the stinging didn't make any worse than the fact that he literally had an arrow in his arm. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. For a non-science-minded person, I feel like that was a really helpful perspective. Meanwhile, as he, as Horace is getting worked on, I guess, <laughs> uh, Hank and Myra come over. Hank somehow already has an even more elevated of the story where Horace was almost scalped by 20 Indians. No one is no one is very sympathetic to him, actually, other than Myra. You know, it hit me also. We still this is only our third episode with Dorothy. So we're still getting to know her as a character as well. True. So when she reacts to things, I find myself a little surprised because I'm I realize I'm not sure what she thinks about certain things because we're still getting to know her. True. It's very true. We see Dr. Mike leaving the clinic with all the kids, and this is actually when we see Sully come running up. He has not been here for this whole ordeal. And because they have two different stories, Sully is trying to explain that. Little Eagle is the name of the Cheyenne man that Jake killed. And so Dr. Mike is confused because her understanding is that they were ambushed. And Sully says that's not true. And before we can even have that conversation with Dr. Mike, Sully is running over to Jake's, where he basically states to Jake's face that you shot Little Eagle. And of course, what does Jake do? Act like... How is this possible? And and this scene is kind of, it's very back and forth arguing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. But Sully's very, very serious. And his main point during this back and forth conversation, I think, is that you lying, Jake, makes this worse. Mm-hmm. I agree. Before we continue with the serious conversation, who thought that the reverend getting shaved I was knew. a good idea? <laughs> oh, wait, you don't like how he looks? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't really care. <laughs> I knew though, as soon as he like starts his comments of like, it's the Indians versus the townsmen, Sully. Oh, I'm yeah. like, gosh, why do you have to be like this? <laughs> well, and I mentioned to you earlier 
we've talked about word choice before and I think it probably is intentional, but I feel like, especially with the townsfolk, there's a real distancing of themselves even from the Cheyenne. The townsfolk, the white people, throw around the word Indian in a way that I don't feel like they have before in episodes. Like, they have, but it's a consistency here of, well, it's an Indian's word versus a townsperson's word is what the reverend says, which yeah. we're back to, I just want the reverend to shut his mouth if he can't be helpful. Actually, one of the nice things that's very consistent is that Sully, of course, he uses names. He identifies like this is, we're talking about this, the Cheyenne and the people who were there, the witnesses. This dialogue will continue that the townsfolk are very much distancing. The townsfolk who, reminder, in the epidemic were literally saved by Cheyenne and have been helped, you know, in different ways by Cheyenne. And to have them kind of just distance themselves. And and, and I remember we had this discussion in The, the Prisoner when Custer had cloud dancing before a firing squad and Dr. Mike's like, you guys know, like you, the townsfolk, you know this person. That, you know, I remember there was a line of like, he's an Indian. Of course he deserves to get died, which I'm pretty sure was Jake's line or Hank's at least. And so there's this really awful distancing of like them, us, which will come into yep. a conversation, which does get brought in. And I, I will say I do. That's one of the things that I like about this episode is that I do think there are multiple very intentional, very strong uh, messages that are being presented to the audience and also within the world of Colorado Springs, 1860, whatever. I like Sully's ending line when he realizes nobody's going to fess up and they are lying. But he says, I know the Cheyenne and I know you, Jake Slicker. And you see Jake's face and it's like, yeah, I mean, we know, we know Jake Slicker too. And we saw it. You know, that's the other thing, like to hear Sully say that and be like, yeah, even if I hadn't seen what happened, like I know Jake Slicker and yeah, yeah, it's true. Just kind of sad. And we failed to mention that Dr. Mike is there for this whole conversation. So she's seeing this go on and kind of, I don't know if it's humorous or what, but after they leave, Jake resumes shaving the Reverend and actually cuts him, (laughs) which kind of I think is supposed to indicate right that he's thrown off yeah back at the clinic Dr. Mike is checking on Horace and she's checking for nerve damage making sure he can bend his fingers all these things I this is actually something they learn you learn in school there's a whole neuro exam you have to do for sensory motor testing all these things she does pretty generic but the hope is that right when that arrow went through it didn't damage any of his nerves and so because he can bend his fingers and I mean there's more questions of course we would ask in real life but Dr. Mike then kind of gets pretty candid with Horace and straight up asks him what really happened. And unfortunately, Horace can't tell the truth and goes along with the story that everyone else has been telling. He does exactly what the guys say where he's like, oh, I heard about that. You know, like he doesn't even say yes or no. He just kind of keeps quiet. Right. He is lying, but we can at least tell that it's 
hard for him. No, you're right. And it's not really until Myra and Brian come in with this story about, they come in with the story, sorry, that Dorothy wrote in the newspaper, which is about Horace and his heroic journey. And Horace is pretty visibly bothered. He doesn't want to read it anymore. He doesn't want to talk about it anymore. And that's kind of the end of it. But you are right. And he never actually does straight up retell that story. He kind of just goes along with the direction the conversation's going, you know? Following that up, we've heard that Dorothy's written this story and everyone's talking about it because at Grace's Cafe, we have Hank, Jake, Lauren, and Myra talking about this survival story. And there's, again, not very subtle, oh, we should probably check on Horace, make sure he isn't saying crazy things. I think the word yapping is used Meanwhile, Dorothy and the Reverend are also talking about it, where the Reverend's like, I heard there were 50 Indians. And Dorothy's like, no, there were only 10 or something like that. I want to talk about the historical relevance of this idea of sensationalized survival stories, because going back to the 1600s all the way through the 1900s, their adventures such as white people writing captivity stories or survival stories about how they overcame being captured, tortured, attacked by Native Americans and how brutal it was and how horrible these people were. And they became extremely, extremely sensationalized, started from the very arrival of colonists, not colon, well, yeah, I mean colonizers, European people arriving in the New World, which we're talking back to the Spanish colonizers, to one of the most significant, and I, when I taught in the U.S., I actually, as part of our textbook that we taught from, I taught 11th grade American literature, and one of the excerpts that we taught was from the General History of Virginia, which was written by a name I think most people at least know, Captain John Smith. I could literally teach a whole podcast on the history of John Smith and (laughs) the truth and Disney-fied history um, because I'm sure many of us grew up watching the 1996 Disney film Pocahontas, which pitches itself as based on the legend, not based on a true story. And it is that in and of itself is based on John Smith's writing. Without John Smith, Jamestown wouldn't have survived. But a huge part of that is also because John Smith had this very inconsistent kind of good and terrible relationship with the Powhatan tribe, which was Pocahontas' tribe. Her father was the chief. He appreciated the Native Americans when they could do things that benefited him and benefited Jamestown. There's so much history within him, but I bring this up because his story that he wrote, sorry, 1629 is when he published The General History of Virginia. Part of the excerpt that I taught of John Smith was he goes out with a scouting party. It's like seven guys. They have a guide and then he has like some other guys with him. He leaves some with the boat and they get attacked by Indians and he's the only survivor and he writes this tale. It's actually, it's really funny to read because he writes this story about how he was ambushed 
by 200 Indians. And oh gosh, he used his guide as a body shield. Like he held his guide in front of him while the guy <laughs> was getting shot by arrows and he got hit in the leg with an arrow, in the arm with an arrow. But he was still fighting and it was only when like they had him cl- completely surrounded that he was finally captured. And I think most most people know, of course, he was taken to Pocahontas's village and she spent a lot of time with him and learned how to speak a little bit to him communicate and they just spent a lot of time together he was like 40 she they estimate was like 12 13 years old and the funniest part about this whole thing is he wrote about this survival story about he, how he was saved by this little Powhatan princess there's one line it says, because of her love for him, she saved him. And that's the one line that becomes Disney's legendary romance, Pocahontas. Historians, after studying the way that he described this event, what he perceived as his execution, he doesn't understand their language. He doesn't know their culture. So from his perspective, he is about to be executed. But now what present day historians know and understand about the Powhatan tribe and their culture was that actually this ceremony where he believed he was about to be murdered, they believe was actually an adoption ceremony where they were actually bringing him in to make him part of the tribe. And obviously Pocahontas would be a part of that because she was the chief's favorite daughter. And Hmm. it's hysterical to me because I'm like, this man probably actually really thought he was going to die. And it's genuinely because he was just ignorant about this culture. (laughs) Anyway, the story, of course, of Pocahontas, which became this big legend... And so these sensationalized stories obviously get blown out of proportion first by the tellers, which we see in this, right, where Jake and Lauren can't even decide how many people ambush them. But then also we see it like elevated in the people telling the story, reading the story and sharing it with others. And this was started in the 1600s. I bring that up just to say that this little scene that we kind of gloss over actually has a lot of significant historical weight. And unfortunately, what happens is when the only stories that are being written about the Native American peoples that are reaching, you know, towns and cities with people who are ignorant and don't understand these cultures when they're all survival stories and captivity stories, like it's painting this false picture of the Native American communities. It's part of what also sets up this fear, sets up this distrust of indigenous tribes before they've even met to actually have conversations about important things like Hmm. land, law, sharing space. Then the Cheyenne show up in town. Even Black Kettle is there. And they say that Jake killed Little Eagle. Sully kind of translates what's going on here, but they want Jake to come before the tribal council for the fair hearing. In which Jake's response is, go to hell. Which, um, yep. I don't know what else to say about that. And then even better, Hank decides to shoot his gun up at the sky. It's just like, I don't know, this whole scene is weird to me because it really is the Cheyenne trying to come and address the issue and Sully seems like he's stuck in the middle because he's trying to translate but he's trying to figure out what's going on and most of the townspeople are just not having it because 
I don't know, they're white and they're going to take Jake's side for the most part. Sully even mentions to Dr. Mike that one of the last things they say before they leave, the Cheyenne that is, is that they will be back for Jake, which we know probably won't go well. I don't know if you noticed, Black Kettle was actually wearing, you could see the red and white stripes of a flag, which I think is a reference to... The flag that Abraham Lincoln gave him, which was mentioned in season one. Mm -hmm. So I kind of love that they have him wear it when he comes on this very peaceful address. They also, they give Sully, I don't know if you noticed at the end, they give Sully a white flag. Right. Which I found evidence that Black Kettle had actually given a white flag to Major Scott Anthony, who was at Fort Lyon to show he was peaceful prior to the Sand Creek Massacre happening. So there is actually historical evidence of Black Kettle using a white flag and taking it to a fort to to showcase that I, I come peacefully. And in case anyone is curious, the start of the white flag as a peaceful term of surrender dates back to 69 AD when they started using blank banners. So... You know, we're talking pre-medieval, but like a flag used to be how they would signal troops because they were easy to see amidst the battle. And it was actually at the Hague and Geneva Conventions, which I think was post-Civil War, pre-Civil War, somewhere around there. That's the first time in America that the white flag was codified. They must keep to those peaceful terms and that white flag can't be used to ambush the others, as well as if you are the opposition and you see a white flag, you are supposed to honor the terms of that surrender. I didn't know that. Sully's upset at Dr. Mike. Yeah. Because she didn't do what she always does, which is... Which is butt in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think he, he says it a little nicer in that you're always giving speeches and standing up for people who have no one to speak for them and you didn't say anything. And... Right. At first, I think we're a little surprised when she's, well, what could I say? And why would I say anything? And Sully does kind of go on this little bit of a rant. Like he was probably drinking, you know what he's like. You're not thinking straight. And she, she's like, the Cheyenne have every right to be angry. But what you're saying is speculation. She does butt in all the time. And a couple times it's gotten her in trouble because she didn't have all the facts. She's not calling the Cheyenne or Sully a liar, but she's just saying, like, I don't think it's my place to say what did or didn't happen. I trust Horace. I am going to say, I think it is pretty surprising, though. Like, she has no reason not to trust Sully. And yes, is he biased for more reasons than one? Sure. But I don't know. He also was out there. And I don't know. I just, it kind of shocks me a little bit when she's just so combative of, like, well, Horace doesn't lie, and maybe the Indians got confused. Maybe they were angry, and it just seems a little excessive for me to believe. Not not necessarily that the acting's bad. It just seems like it just seems like a weird take for her to have. Yeah, she's almost talking like she's in the middle, but her behavior is saying very much like, "No, I just I believe the Cheyenne are wrong." Yeah. That's not what her words are saying, but that's what her actions are saying. Well, and it is interesting because then Sully says, you know, well, maybe you're not thinking right. And before they even finish that conversation, (laughs) Horace starts shouting that the stage isn't coming because the dog soldiers have ambushed the stagecoach. So Sully decides he's going to talk to them. And he says that Dr. Mike won't be welcome because she's white. 
Sully says, well, I might not be welcome either, which is also interesting because, I mean, I think the whole point of this episode is Sully being, you know, in between, but for the most part, we have never seen there be an issue with Sully going to talk to the Cheyenne or anything like that. So we also find out right after this that the Wakefields, who are not a family that we know, but their house was burned to the ground and the mom, Mrs. Wakefield, also got burned. And so Dr. Mike takes them into the clinic, but it's starting to become apparent that this is pretty bad. And even Horace admits that this is pretty terrible. And Sully's biggest fear is that it could get much worse. If you watch when the Wakefields come in, I know it's to like build this tension of we thought things were going to be bad and then they get worse and then they get worse. But (laughs) the Wakefields come in with this wagon and Dorothy comes running out of the, I would assume the mercantile. And it's like, it's the Wakefields. Their house has been burned down and she hasn't talked to anyone for five minutes. (laughs) It's probably one of those things where on paper they were planning it to look a little different but in the editing it kind of looks like i'm like oh dorothy's telepathic flashback to last episode maybe she is a witch right (laughs) oh gosh it always is weird to me when they have extras come in do you know you have to pay someone more if they have a line so sometimes it's just cheaper to have extras and then have your main characters feed the information but it is awkward yeah (laughs) it would have made total sense if they walked up you know rode up with the wagon dorothy ran out and the the kids i think there's like two kids in the wagon just that burned our house ma's hurt you know but no because you know they didn't want to pay those people more they just have dorothy say it and then it's like yeah but anyway it is to show that how quickly this has gotten out of hand at the schoolhouse matthew arrives to go get brian and colleen just because Dr. Mike wants them to stay put until everything is settled because of all the ambushes and such. And I mean, there are some other children there that kind of overhear the conversation that Matthew's having with his siblings, which is that he believes Sully. And so one of the other kids, one of the older kids, he's kind of like very tall to be in school, but I'm not judging. Anyway, <laughs> calls Matthew an Indian lover, makes fun of his necklace that he has. That little like... His sacred vision quest... Correct. But basically, you just start talking all sorts of crap about the Cheyenne and Native Americans, and they actually get into a physical fight, which is not the first we've seen Matthew be in, but (laughs) my favorite part is Colleen being like, stop it, stop it. And Brian's like, get him, get him. (laughs) And eventually, Brian actually kicks him. In the shin. (laughs) It's a great place to kick. Yeah. And I love it because Matthew's like, oh, nice going, Brian. (laughs) This isn't the first time. Who else called Matthew an Indian Jake. lover? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's... Shocker. It's like, it's not the first time. But, I don't know, his blind faith of, like, I trust Sully and I believe Sully. I don't know. Coming from him seems appropriate. Like, that was more of the response I thought would come from Dr. Mike. Mm. But anyway. I will be honest. I think this scene was a filler scene because nothing is going to come of this argument nothing is going to change for Matthew Colleen or Brian or any of the kids at the school due to this scene and so I have to ask myself like what was the value how did this move the plot along how did this change things for the characters and it really didn't other than I guess it gives reason later for the kids to be kind of wary and on their own home alone my guess is either that they wanted to give the Cooper children more to do in this episode or, you know, they had a, what, a 40, 40 minute runtime, 45 minute runtime and they needed to fill it. 
But also, in an episode that's all about how escalating violence doesn't resolve things, <laughs> I just feel like it doesn't really fit. It's just a little kick. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Mike and Dorothy are walking in town and... Dorothy talks about wanting to come interview the Wakefields for paper. She then kind of puts Dr. Mike in a hard hard spot saying you have to take sides. Like you mm. when things like this happen, you have to pick. And Dr. Mike is conflicted. We get a little bit more into her feelings on this in this scene where she says, I especially believe Horace, but I trust Sully, which, okay, thank you for finally saying that. Dorothy brings up, I don't know, I think her point is that there may not be a truth because people see different versions of what happened. You have to figure out who would have a reason to lie. And the best policy is to stick to your own is is what she she quotes. And so they kind of have this conversation of figuring out, well, why would Jake have a reason to lie? And they both have reasons, good, I mean, valid reasons to lie about this. I like the scene just because I get a little more insight into what Dr. Mike is thinking. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about this scene as well, just because she gives the speech on perspective, which I think maybe in another episode would work where she's like yeah two people could experience the same thing and come to completely different conclusions but that's not what's happening in this episode you know it's not like jake misunderstood what happened because his misunderstanding could be easily resolved with it was an accident jake would have a reason for lying if he did shoot him because he's guilty and that means he should go before the council because he murdered someone and the cheyenne if they, what Jake's saying is true and they did ambush them, the Cheyenne are afraid of army retaliation. I don't think her perspective speech fits, but I think her perspective speech is to set up that question for Dr. Mike to be like, well, then how do you find out the truth? Her saying, two people have an opinion, you have to pick a side. Like, that's how wars are like started. And I, oh yeah, get that there are things that you do pick a side. Like all sorts of horrible, horrible things where we're not gonna stand in the middle and be like, well, I see where they're coming from. But at the same time, isn't perspective also about understanding or seeking to understand both sides of the story? Because this one, there is a right thing and there is a truth here. There's no one, no one's misunderstanding in this episode. You know what I mean? But like outside of that, where people say like, oh no, it has to be black and white. Like you have to choose what you stand by and then that's all you can stand by. And I feel like that's very relevant to today as well, where people are like, you're either for this or you're against it. I just am like, I don't know that I agree with that every time where it's like, oh yeah, you have to pick a side about every topic. But where she's saying, stick with your own, choose this thing, and you can't even think about the other side. You just have to only be for this. And it doesn't matter whether you understand the other side or you trust the other side. What do you think? Well, no, I don't think I agree with that statement. I think most things aren't black and white. And in this situation, it's it's definitely not because it, what matters the most should be finding the truth, which is what you said. So yeah, I mean, part of me is like, these people have nothing else, like nothing better to worry about. Like, of course, Dorothy's like, you have to pick a side. <laughs> right. What is Dr. Mike and all this really? She's not really a main player other than obviously she's a main player in our story. Yeah. This episode made me emotional in a couple of places, but one of the things is I just think about suppressed, repressed, oppressed people groups. And I just think about how many people just did that 
they just stuck with their own. And it had nothing to do with what was true or what was right. It was just, well, my identity is blah, 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 blah. And that overrules what's right or what the truth is. Or even making an attempt to understand, because this will become a conflict later. Obviously, we don't agree with the attacks that the dog soldiers are making. But at the same time, do we understand why the Cheyenne are upset? (laughs) Like someone was murdered and no one's taking responsibility and they have witnesses who saw people they know who fled the scene and no one's speaking up. This can lead right into our discussion of the next scene, which is in the Cheyenne village. Sully has arrived. Yeah. The first thing we kind of see is Little Eagle's wife and two children. Little Eagle's wife is cutting her hair. I researched Cheyenne burial customs and found that the Cheyenne as a tribe often prepared bodies and then they built a, not a stand, but like a platform and they would put the body above ground on this platform. The reason they did that was this belief to allow the departed souls to leave. They believe that the souls moved into the bones and they would leave the bodies on these platforms until there were only bones left and then the bones they would bury and they would bury them with a lot of their earthly possessions so that they could go to Siana or Sayana which is the place for people who died a good death because death is seen as and and in my research I found this direct language use but the Cheyenne believe that death is a rite of passage I couldn't find evidence specifically of the Cheyenne cutting off their hair. However, the Blackfoot tribe did have recorded evidence of cutting their hair during mourning and also cutting off fingers sometimes. Often wives would cut off a finger and bury it with their loved ones to show their loss. Cloud Dancing and Sully do kind of have a tense conversation and we find out that Cloud Dancing is feeling pretty conflicted because the dog soldiers want justice and he feels like he should ride with them. And at this point we know that the dog soldiers are pretty radical and unforgiving in some of their actions and so Sully is obviously not supportive of this. But Cloud Dancing's reasoning is, you know, then maybe the whites would know that we're serious. That's why we attack, so that they'll take us seriously. Because if they think, you know, they can just kill one of us and nothing will happen, like, that's unrealistic. But Sully tries to explain that the attacks aren't good. We talked about the Wakefields, but what if that had been Dr. Mike? He wants to talk to Jake himself. That's what Sully wants to do. He wants to talk to Jake, and I think he sees himself as a peacemaker in this situation. And it's not the first time we've seen him be a bridge between the Cheyenne and the Settlers. There's definitely some tension among them, and we'll see that build later. But also, I know you're going to, like, share some history stuff. This scene made me think that Joe Lando was wearing some eyeliner. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I didn't notice that. Which, I mean, he probably was. I mean, right? But (laughs) I don't know. It was, like, bugging me a little bit in this scene. (laughs) Hmm. Well, so the first thing that I did for this scene was I actually went back to the season one episode, The Great American Medicine Show, because I was trying to remember what Sully's point of view on the dog soldiers was previously because here in this scene he's definitely condemning their actions and the word justice is thrown around and obviously cloud dancing is like it's not just the killing it's the lying about killing 
And when Sully was trying to convince Franklin, who actually shows up in this episode, which we can talk about later when we see him, when he was trying to convince Franklin in the Great of American Medicine show to leave the service of Doc Eli, Sully said, the dog soldiers are warriors and they are fighting to save what's left. So I think there's a mentality there about what Sully thinks the dog soldiers stand for, which I also have history I'd like to share later on about the dog soldiers. But in this case, his disapproval obviously is for the dog soldiers seeking revenge against innocent parties, especially in this case where they know who the guilty party is. One of Cloud Dancing's comments is, it's the killing and the lying, and it's something that's happened again and again. That's a direct quote. He says, again and again. I wanted to look at specifically the Cheyenne and their historical confrontations and episodes of violence between settlers, the army, and the Cheyenne tribe. Obviously, there are many tribes and many indigenous nations who have histories that look very similar to this, but in this case, I am going to very quickly summarize almost 40 years of history, and that's not to minimize any of that history. Watching this scene made me ask the question is, where is cloud dancing coming from when he said it's happened again and again? I traced back in my reading to 1854, when there was a Mormon party actually going along the Oregon Trail headed to Utah. A cow escaped from this Mormon party. And they went out in search of the cow. They saw some Cheyenne people and they were afraid. This is an important part of the story. They didn't find the cow, but they saw some indigenous peoples. And so they immediately went to Fort Laramie, which you will probably remember that the Treaty of Fort Laramie is the treaty that was happening in the pilot episode in Colorado Springs. This is actually pre-Civil War in in the show. Obviously, it happens post-Civil War. But this Mormon party reported to the army that the cow had been stolen by the Cheyenne. So the lieutenant in Fort Laramie at the time named John Grattan went to arrest the man, the indigenous Cheyenne man who was accused of stealing the cow. Obviously that man proclaimed his innocence and refused to surrender himself to the army. So as retaliation, the army bombed the village. Obviously not nuclear bomb like we think today. We're talking, you know, small, you know, 1800s army cannons. But the damage was enough that actually the chief of that particular tribe, whose name was Conquering Bear, was killed during that artillery fire. The Sioux, uh, I've been saying Cheyenne, I apologize. This is Sioux Nation, which the Cheyenne are associated. So the Sioux in retaliation for the the murder of their chief, attacked an army detachment. In 1855, which is the next year, General William Harney led 600 troops, killing 85 and taking 70 women and children from the Sioux village captive. As revenge for that event, white settlements were attacked after defrauding natives of land and lying about land agreements. Then 
as a result of that. Troops at Fort Ridgely attacked the Sioux. Then some of the Sioux who were involved in this confrontation fled to Canada, other northern areas, and those who remained were captured and for their crimes were actually ordered to be put to death by hanging on the order of President Lincoln. When Cloud Dancing said the lying and the killing, and it's happened again and again, like this is just a glimpse of this cycle. And, and I think that Sully's gonna talk about in the next scene with Jake, the Cheyenne are angry because it's consistent. There's no consequences for the white man. You know, it all started with a lie. Who knows what really happened to that cow? Maybe it wandered mm. off. Maybe it wandered off and they did take the cow because they found it roaming, but they didn't find the cow. They just found these Sioux people and then took it to the army. And the army came and accused right away based on this lie. And I wrote some numbers down to kind of show how it escalates and escalates and there's no end to it. Unfortunately for indigenous people, they are not the bigger power most of the time, right? And innocent women and children in settlements, you know, being attacked, but a lot of times those settlements being attacked were revenge for being defrauded of land and lied to. And we don't want to condone violence. And I think that's Sully's thing here is he's like, I know that you want justice and I know that you want revenge and you want people who lie and who kill to be punished, but punishing them through violence is only going to result in more violence. And that's, you know, why he's like, let me talk to Jake. I want this to be resolved between the really the offending party and your people and Little Eagle's family. And, it, and it's not right. Like none of it is right and none of it's okay. And it's, I think we had this conversation before Kelly with Grace and Robert E where sometimes we, like we expect the oppressed to be better than the oppressor hmm. and how that's like an unfair expectation. Sully is asking Cloud Dancing to be better than Jake. And that does feel like an unfair ask because the Cheyenne in this situation are completely innocent. I can see how if you are living knowing this, that this is a repeated thing, the Cheyenne always getting the short end of the stick, which it sounds horrible to say the short end of the stick when we're literally talking about genocide. But then Sully's asking him, give it time. We just need to get Jake to come around to do the right thing. It's like, no, he, he had his chance to do the right thing and he didn't. So now that's what the dog soldiers are doing. Right. Sully's just optimistic and thinks that he can do something. Mm. We see Jake in his shop and he's drinking, unfortunately, and... Sully comes in and wants to talk to him and explains kind of what you were just saying that, you know, this fighting could spread across the entire territory. Like, it's way bigger than you now. But you could stop it. It's in your hands. All you would have to do is apologize. And Sully says, you know, that he would do his best to help that conversation and make sure that harm doesn't come to him. But Jake is wildly sarcastic and said, even if I did do it, I wouldn't go crawling to no Indians. And Sully's mad, man. He, he's calm, but he's upset. Like, no, you need to think about it and you need to change your mind. Yeah. But Jake is insistent that not only did he not do it, but he doesn't want Sully there and actually threatens him, says, like, get out before I get my rifle. So Sully had high hopes, but it's pretty obvious that Jake is stuck in 
his reality, which is that he didn't do it and he has no plans on fessing up either. Well, or that he did it, but it doesn't matter because no one cares. Sully knows there are people who do care. And so this scene is where we get the title of our episode. Let's let's just say I wouldn't give Dr. Quinn any awards for their episode titles, but Sully says this incident is getting to be a big thing, which I just hate that title because we're literally talking about a father, a husband's murder, and we've titled it The Incident. But it's used as in play for, you just referenced, Jake says, get out before I get my rifle and make this an incident. So that's where we get our The Incident (laughs) title. Mm. I think you're right that Sully is really optimistic and it's almost surprising that he's so convinced that he can talk Jake round because usually Dr. Mike's the one who sees the best in people and wants people to do the right thing. I would usually guess that Sully would be the more cynical one about the town. Right. Dr. Mike is in her clinic. And I did notice they start playing. I write it in my notes as the cute music. I don't know what (laughs) song they play, but they always play this song when like Dr. Mike and Sully are about to have like some, I don't know, meaningful conversation. (laughs) But Sully explains that he wasn't able to get to Jake. And Dr. Mike tries to reassure him in saying that she knows he tried his best, but it is harder when Jake is drinking and... I think because they were both so prominent in his drinking problem, especially in that episode Mm. in the first season that I don't remember the name of. Um, Happy birthday. Happy birthday. (laughs) Um, So I think that also gives them an insight even more into how Jake is. Sully explains that he feels like people are starting to get angry because it's all about winning. It's not about finding out the truth. It's just about being right and winning. Yeah. And the scene, I don't know, this kind of ends awkwardly because Dr. Mike just gets like this serious look and then they just like switch to Jake in the saloon. But I think they are trying to have a conversation because they're friends. And I think Dr. Mike hasn't been like wildly supportive of him in this episode, but she tries here. And it also shows that that Sully understands that it didn't work. Because part of me wondered like, oh, is he going to keep trying because it's Sully? And I mean, he does keep trying, but he's able to express that it didn't go as planned at least. I do like that even though they kind of had the last scene we saw them together, they had this disagreement where she wasn't just agreeing with him, which I think he expected, but that he still feels like he can be heard by her and confide in her. He still feels reassured that he can open up to her, that he's struggling with this and in a way is fearful about where this is going to lead for all his friends. Yeah. And she does listen and doesn't say, well, maybe he's not confessing because you're wrong. You know, like, (laughs) true. (laughs) Yeah, so then Jake gets kidnapped, which we're like, yep, cool. Uh, Kind of scarily, Sully tries to stop the kidnapping and they shoot near him. And he protects Dr. Mike. He does. It seems like the arrow hits before he covers her. Still, that's his instinct. Of course, of course. Were they actually trying to hurt them? Or did they not know who it was and it was just to keep anyone from stopping them from what they're doing? Not sure. Dun, 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 dun. Meanwhile, Matthew is in the homestead with his gun. <laughs> and he hears something, gets up cautiously, only to find out that it's Dr. Mike and Sully. Even though he wakes up Colleen and Brian and everything. He's like really ready to protect his siblings, which is kind. Dr. Mike and Sully came to check on the kids and they tell him about Jake, that he's been taken by the Cheyenne. And Sully decides that he's going to go to the reservation. 
in which Dr. Mike begs him not to go, and she requests that he wait until morning. And somehow, Sully agrees, even though he tells Dr. Mike it's a big mistake. Yeah. He listens to her, even though he could totally disregard it, which is interesting to me, because I think we've seen... I don't know. I feel like I've seen him plenty of times be like, you can give your opinion, woman, but I'm still going to do whatever I want to do. And she, she does, does the she same. Does the same. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So, but it is interesting that, you know, he listens to her, even though he's like, oh, it's a big mistake. I'm like, yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting. Mm-hmm. It's he didn't even want the town to find out about it. He This whole time he's been worried about the, the dog soldiers retaliation, but now he's worried about townsfolk retaliation. And there's a line that makes me laugh where she's like, we, we should get the input of the of everyone, you know, and he's like, what what help are they going to be or something along those lines? And I'm like, yeah, really? The next day we're in town and obviously they have told everyone the reverend is trying to make a plan. They pretty much come up with three options. Option number one, town itself assembles a posse, rides in to rescue Jake. That first option gets shot down pretty quickly because few volunteers who's viewed as a suicide mission, who would go, no no way we're going to win that fight. The second option is to alert the army. The world that they are in and Dr. Quinn is obviously post-President Andrew Jackson's Indian Removal Act and the Trail of Tears. It's also post-President Millard Fillmore Congress in 1851 instituted the Indian Appropriations Act, which was to move Native Americans onto farming reservations to keep control and they're not allowed to leave without permission. So the law here and the army would be on their side. I actually found this quote, I think written, it was written in 1905, 1910 or something. And it was talking about from the 1860s, uh, 1830s to the 1860s, the army's attitude toward indigenous peoples and something that this article, it wasn't an article, it was an essay. Many in the army believed that Native Americans were destined for eventual extinction. Can you imagine living in a world where it's like, oh yeah, we're just expecting the extinction of this people group eventually yeah. Hank's comment of like, oh, they just they just need to finish them all off. But thankfully, Dr. Mike and Sully are advocating against option number two, no war. So option number three is Sully goes alone to talk to the Cheyenne, which is a great plan. But it does make the scene from the night before where Dr. Mike tries to talk Sully out of going to the Cheyenne camp alone weird because she's like, hey, don't go alone. We'll we'll talk to the townspeople and come up with a different plan. But then the plan they come up with is still for Sully to go alone. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Even though he waited till the morning. So he waited till the morning to do exactly what he wanted to do. But I guess the hope was, or the the idea was, at least if the to get the townsfolk on board because probably what would have happened is if he had gone in the night alone to go talk to them and then Dr. Mike showed up, everyone finds out Jake is gone and she yeah. says, don't worry, Sully went to talk to them. No one's going to be like, okay, that's our plan. Like, I guess by having this discussion, they prove how options one and two are not good options and that the best option is Sully to speak for them because Dr. Mike makes this argument, if the if we call the army, 
the army's going to go in there to punish them and they're going to kill everyone and they're not going to wait to stop and look and see if Jake is is in there. They're just going to kill everyone. And so everyone agrees to give Sully a day. Yep. At the reservation, Jake is being beaten. Cloud Dancing actually comes and tries to stop them. At this point, the dog soldiers also bring Sully in. Cloud Dancing explains that he tried to buy Sully more time, but the dog soldiers didn't want to wait. They wanted to get Jake, bring him here, and at this point, they want to torture him. And so Cloud Dancing actually asks Sully to leave because he's afraid that the dog soldiers will turn on Sully, which is interesting because we've seen that Sully has a special place among the Cheyenne, but things are becoming hostile, and even though he's trying to be the peacemaker, each side kind of sees him as an enemy. Mm. And so Sully insists on staying and speaking to the council himself. And I think his intentions are to come to some sort of solution. Because at this point, I mean, they already have Jake, right? right? So things have escalated quite quite a bit, but it'll just depend on what Sully is able to say to them. Or at least what he thinks he'll be able to say to them in this case. I think he's still trying to prevent the cycle of retaliation. Something that I haven't talked about, it showed up in this episode a couple times, is that Black Kettle actually does some sign language. And because sometimes Black Kettle speaks Cheyenne and sometimes he uses what I learned is wouldn't have been actually called sign language back then, but would have actually been called hand talk. I decided to read about that a little bit because what's cool is that Sully actually seems to understand both, right? He understands Cheyenne as well as understands Black Kettle's hand talk. The first recorded use of hand talk was written by the colonizers, but I think that is a very arrogant thing to say that's when they started it because it's not like um, indigenous communities didn't have deaf people. (laughs) And so I, I would assume, I don't know this factually, but I would assume that hand talk and Plains Indian sign language has been around a lot longer because even between tribes, if tribes were trading with one another, they would not have necessarily a common language. So I think to say like, oh, when the colonizers arrived, that's when they started using hands. I think that's like super arrogant and a very like, yeah, like colonizer perspective. Anyway, use of it, which would be in being the sixth, century in Florida, tribes used hand talk to communicate with Spanish colonizers. And actually there is, it is still a language today, Plains, it's called Plains Indian Sign Language. It is not the same as American Sign Language. And I would love to ask someone who knows the Plains Indian Sign Language it to see if what Nick Ramis, who plays Black Kettle, if what he's actually using is the Plains Indian sign language or if they just used American sign language. But something that actually is really beautiful and it actually made me cry. As I was reading about this, I found that in 1930, the very first Indian Sign Language Council was held where they invited chiefs from all different tribes to come together. And there was a man who was trying to document and film this entire council to create a film and actually preserve the legacy of Plains Indian Sign Language. Um, And so he took all this footage of all these chiefs in their traditional regalia speaking in Plains Indian Sign Language in the 1930s. And I, you can watch the video 
of it and they subtitled it so you can see what these chiefs are saying. And one of the chiefs said, it is up to us to make a record for those who come after us. And it made me so emotional to watch this film. And it's, you know, it's from the 1930s, which is crazy to think. That's what, like 90 years ago, but not that far off from kind of where we, it, you know, it's closer to where Dr. Quinn is in history than it is to us. And it's it's just a really, I don't know why, just the film made me really emotional just watching these. Hmm. I, I don't know. I just think about these beautiful nations who've lost so much and to have this small piece of their culture preserved in such a beautiful way. It just made me emotional. It's making me emotional right now. But this kind of sad thing <laughs> is, is the guy who made the film actually died before he finished producing it. So there's only this like, I don't remember how long the clip was. It wasn't super long, but there's no finished product from from this council, but in regards to this particular episode and just recognizing how much hardship the the Cheyenne and indigenous people have experienced at the hands of white people and yeah, like wanting them to be better. And that's like, that's what's happening here is Sully is like advocating for a murderer. And it's not that we want Jake to die, but at the same time, we understand that it's not even because Sully doesn't necessarily think he deserves it, right? It's the fear of what's going to happen to them if they do. I mean, it's all sad. The whole thing is sad. Yeah, it is. So Myra comes to check on Horace And Horace is kind of being standoffish. He's at the post office. And Myra is like, something is not right with you, dude. Like, I know you and something is off. Dr. Mike is also there, comes in. And so Horace closes the door and decides to be frank with them and tell them the truth, which is that Jake shot Little Eagle. And of course, Dr. Mike's shocked. Like, Horace, you lied. I thought you were Abraham Lincoln. No, not Abraham Lincoln. No, honest Abe. Abe, Yeah. (laughs) He kind of gives the Abraham Lincoln vibe sometimes. (laughs) But Horace explains the reason why, which we already know, which is that he didn't want to be in trouble. Lauren and Jake, you know, made it sound like it was the best idea. And because they've never liked him and then they let him go hunting, he felt like he was one of them. It it feels very middle school, right? Like, you know, I was afraid they wouldn't be my friend again. And which again is valid. And, and Lauren and Jake are pretty prominent people that are quite convincing and quite frankly could make life hell if they really wanted to. Yeah. And I also think in as much as it does feel very childish, if it was anyone but Horace, I would say, are you kidding me? That's dumb. But because it's Horace and we we know that he genuinely has struggled with these guys and he doesn't have many friends. It's not a good reason, but it's it's a reason. He says something along the lines of it just kept getting bigger and bigger and there was nothing I could do. Right. Which is what happens when you lie. And the and another big part of this scene is that Dr. Mike, you know, admits, I should have believed Sully. And I'm like, I hate when people have their hindsight's 2020 <laughs> moment. I'm like, duh, you idiot. <laughs> but Horace does ask for forgiveness, which is good. To Myra, though. I mean, I yes, he right. does need to apologize for lying, but also... She's not on the top of my list of who are owed an apology right now. Of course, you lied to me. And even Myra's like, I didn't even know you could lie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and Dr. Mike still seems pretty peeved. But that is the thing is like that. That was Dr. Mike never once said, I believe Lauren. I believe Jake. 
her thing was, I I believe Horace. Yeah. Yeah, so I think Horace, it does seem childish, but I do appreciate a male character being allowed to express his insecurities because we don't do that often, especially in Westerns, because a man is confident, assured, knows what he believes and sticks to it. Uh, so I do appreciate that. You have to ask yourself, would he actually confess this to any of the the men that are there, probably not, but the cat's out of the bag. They obviously immediately went from the post office to confronting Lauren in the mercantile. Dorothy calls Lauren out as well, saying, I wrote your story. And Lauren's like, well, I didn't ask you to publish it. And I'm like, but obviously you answered her questions. And <laughs> go, Matthew. Matthew says, hey, this isn't actually just the fault of the person who lied. As a journalist, it's your job to check your facts. Yeah. Which Sully said from the beginning. She She's like, oh, but I talked to eyewitnesses. And he's like, you didn't talk to all the eyewitnesses. It's very brief, but I love this challenge to news story integ Do integrity. Better. And um, what is that called? Um what is something integrity? What's that called when you're a news anchor or um, media, media uh, no integrity? Idea. Anyway, we know this is a big thing in the world today. It's very brief, and I love that Dorothy, well, oh, she takes responsibility for her own actions. Do you see how she that does, works? Yeah. Men, <laughs> you see how that works? So they make a new plan. Dr. Mike's like, okay, we have the truth now, so we need to go and reveal the truth that Jake did do it, but it was an accident. And so Dr. Mike's like, Horace, you're coming with me to the Cheyenne village. And Myra's really nervous, but Horace, of course, says, no, I have to do the right thing. Matthew's worried that they won't make it because the dog soldiers are attacking people. But in the end, they decide that Horace, Dr. Mike, and Matthew will go together. Just a little note about the dog soldiers. We've talked about them, of course, a few times before, but something new that I learned, I think I had told you before that the dog soldiers were established to keep the peace. Really one of their main role their main roles was to regulate theft and murder within the tribes. But actually, the dog soldiers were only one of six military societies that were formed among what was called the Council of 44, which was the 44 chiefs who were in turn leaders in about, I think, 10 different, I don't know if they were uh, villages or, or just pe people groups or divisions, but they were only one of six military societies, but they would, of course, become one of the more militant groups. They were trained to preserve traditions. Originally, when the dog soldiers were founded, their job was not to dole out individual punishment, which is literally kind of what they're doing right now. But as time went on, they obviously became more independent and separated from that kind of the Council of 44. And their main goal became fighting for their land and boundaries. But in case anyone's interested, the six other military societies that were formed included the Red Shield Society, the Hoof Rattle of Elk Society, the Coyote Society, 
the bowstring men, also known as the inverted society, and the crazy dog society, which was like a subdivision of the dog soldiers. So that was super interesting to me is like the dog soldiers weren't kind of this isolated military society, but actually they were a part of a very intentionally formed military division of this Council of 44, but then kind of as things, you know, things changed in the atmosphere of the world that they were in, you know, they started to become more independent and kind of take on a life and idealism of their own. And I have included this on the website. I'm not going to share it in the podcast today, but I did find a written out origin story of the dog soldiers that was shared in Cheyenne tradition. And it is very interesting. So if you want to read about the origin of the dog soldiers, that is on our website, www.notaladypodcast.weebly.com. You can check that out. And all the resources, especially for history, I always link to on our website under the listen tab. Sweet. Back on the reservation, Sully actually gets Jake some water, which is nice. But I don't know, you can just tell there's conflict between Sully and the Cheyenne Mm -hmm. during this. Jake decides he's going to tell the truth, and his version of the truth is that it was Horace, which just royally makes Sully very angry. We don't curse on this show, but if we did, I would have a few choice names for Jake right now in that moment. I know. I know. And Sully grabs his neck and says it was not Horace. You know, you, if, you better tell him the truth and I won't let them peel your skin off at this point. And it's true. They're running out of options. I mean, mm-hmm. Jake, I don't know what he thinks going to happen. Like, Sully's just going to bail you out. Like, <laughs> clearly you can tell that they're not super pleased with him either. So eventually Jake says, I thought I saw a deer in the bushes. And then the Indian screamed and fell. Those are his words. It was an accident, and I don't know what all this fuss is about, which, again, like, what? <laughs> and Sully's mad, right? So I'm like, okay, thank you. Yeah. What do you mean all this fuss? Like, you killed a person. And then lied about it. And expected people to back you up. Yeah. 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 And so Dr. Mike and Matthew show up. Cloud Dancing is there as well, and Cloud Dancing says at this point, he's taken a life, therefore he has to die. I wonder if this is not supposed to be the, the moment of highest tension, kind of in this, where, where Jake finally gives up the truth, right? Because literally this has been the biggest conflict. Everything that's happened has been because Jake wouldn't confess. And I feel like I like the scene. The performance is good. However, I don't feel like this emotional reveal says anything new to the audience. Like we don't learn anything new about Jake's character. And really that the fact that he only confesses because he, I guess, is afraid that Sully's gonna actually let him die. And I wish that in that moment they gave us more of why this was hard for him. And I know Sully brought up earlier about, you know, this was just about winning and being right. But at at some point that had to change for Jake. Like if you're gonna keep sticking to this narrative, there has to be a reason. Or maybe not. I don't know. But I feel like if you're willing to die for this before you almost tell the truth, then there's got to be a reason, right? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. No, I agree. I definitely agree. 
he says that line, Indians die all the time and no one cares. And I, obviously that line is supposed to make us upset. And obviously we know that Jake is wrong. And I think this is one of the things of this. Jake doesn't change in this episode. No, no. I remember being angry and we'll probably, we can talk about it now or we can talk about it in the end. But I remember feeling the same way about when Hank was really, really nasty to um, Grace and being like, he never even says he's sorry. Like he just gets to walk away and everything be fine. Right. Thankfully, Jake does have a few consequences, but obviously they're not, like he doesn't, his mind about the Cheyenne is not changed. His mindset about the murder doesn't seem to have changed. And even his attitude towards the truth, it's not even like he came to realize it was the right thing to do. It was more like, (laughs) what other option did he have? So... And I know that we've talked about this before, that that is real life. Like sometimes people don't learn and don't grow. And sometimes they say they don't say sorry. Right. And that's real, but it's upsetting. (laughs) And I guess it's supposed to be upsetting. You know, we're not supposed to be like, oh, he finally told the truth. And still at the end of it, he said, oh, what's the big fuss? Right. Like, we're not supposed to be okay with that. And we're we're not okay with that. And Sully's not okay with that. And obviously, the Cheyenne are definitely not okay with that. But in storytelling, I guess that is a risk that you take. That our, sometimes we're going to let our characters be flawed and stay flawed. And they're not going to learn. And I think that's what's hard for me is because we literally have on our podcast a whole section about, like, lessons learned right what did the characters learn? right and so to recognize like i don't know that at least jake didn't learn what i feel like he should learn <laughs> which yeah. is a lot of things no well and we'll see that silly and horace try to explain what happened they're not i think silly's not trying to diminish the fact that obviously little eagle lost his life but it wasn't on purpose right. and I don't know. Sully like very uh, easily trusts that explanation from Jake, but I think Horace is there to kind of back up the story. But Cloud Dancing and Sully, man, this is like a not fun scene to watch because they're basically fighting. Cloud Dancing does not trust Sully. Yeah. He feels like Sully took the white side that he turned against the Cheyenne. And Sully feels that Cloud Dancing is being blinded by anger. And next thing you know, they're fist fighting on the ground. I actually, I like not because it's enjoyable but because I think especially knowing the history like I 100% understand where cloud dancing is coming from and I think it's that thing that you know we had this conversation with Grace where Grace no one was standing up for her and so she was trying to stand up for herself and then got called out by her friends for escalating things because she Hank shouldn't be able to treat her that way I think it's the same thing where he's like, Sully, you heard him admit, A, to to murdering someone from our tribe, but also admitting he lied about it and tried to cover it up and say it didn't matter. Obviously, there's this hint that, oh, Sully, Sully's in the right because he's saying, like, you taught me to be fair. You taught me to not be hateful. 
But but I think this is one of those things where I'm standing watching this and then Dorothy's little comment like, oh, you have to pick a side. And this is one of those instances. They're both feelings, both experiences, and intentions are valid, right? It's not that Sully doesn't think Jake deserves to be punished. It's that Sully's fearful that if they kill Jake, like what the consequences are going to be for the entire tribe, you know? And at the same time, Cloud Dancing's like, if we let him get away with murder, what's going to stop them from keep doing it, lying and killing? When it comes down to me, like Sully can't understand Cloud Dancing's experience. He can empathize. He can be an ally, which I think he always wants to do. But the, the fact of the matter is that he is never going to understand the Cheyenne experience. He can't demand for people to react a certain way. But that's not to say that his petition to cloud dancing is also not coming from a place of approving of what Jake did either, you know? Yeah. So they do fight. And actually, no one steps in. Black Kettle's watching. The dog soldiers are watching. Horace, Dr. Mike, they're yelling for them to stop, but no one's actually stepping in. And I think they re- they both realize what they're doing before Dr. Mike's line, but it is kind of, it does hit home when Dr. Mike says, and you call this man your brother, which is really an accusation toward both of them. You're saying that there's sides. There's that division, like, oh, if you believe this, then there's no way you can be on my side. <laughs> the only person really who's in the wrong right now is Jake Slicker and Lauren, mostly. And, you know, a little bit Horace, but at least Horace owned up to it. Back in town, there has been no word from Sully, Dr. Mike, or Matthew. So the townspeople are wondering what's to do next, of course, Hank wants them to call the army, and the others kind of agree at this point, but it's a big conversation. Should we wait? Should we call the army? It comes up that Myra possibly may know how to send a wire telegram from watching Horace all this time, and so they are thinking, although they're doubtful of her abilities, kind of becomes an option that maybe they could have Myra send a telegram to the army to let them know what's going on. But before she can do that, we are back at the reservation and Jake is in front of the council now. And there is a Cheyenne, I don't know if, I'm sure you noticed this, there's a Cheyenne man telling Mike how the council works and it's Franklin. Did you notice that? Pato Hoffman is back and he is credited as being Franklin. Does it make sense? I thought how it ended was that he went back with a different tribe. No, he joined the dog soldiers, remember? Mm, no, I thought he went back with a, a different tribe. Okay, so it makes sense that he's there Yes, then. yeah, actually, it does. Okay. They don't really acknowledge that we have seen him before, but he is credited in the credits as Pato Hoffman playing Franklin, which was his character in The Great American Medicine Show. And that's how I knew to go back to The Great American Medicine Show to see what Sully had said about the dog soldiers previously because it was his, that was his petition to Franklin. It was kind of clever actually because normally we have cloud dancing doing the translating or Sully, but 
Cloud dancing is translating to black kettle because Sully, I guess, for some reason is speaking in English. And obviously cloud dancing is also a little bit mad at <laughs> all the white people right now. And then Sully's obviously doing the talking. So they needed another translator. <laughs> and so actually he is one of the few other Cheyenne person who we know speaks English and maybe Snowbird's not on the council. So, But women are on the council which we find out, which is like a big deal because Franklin's like, oh, are women not on your council? And Dr. Mike's like, no. Yeah. Well, I couldn't find evidence of that within the Cheyenne government, but the Crow tribe, I did find evidence of them actually having female chiefs. Sully is, tells the council that he f- he's caught between two people groups, which I think is a big theme of this episode. And Black Kettle, obviously through the translation of Cloud Dancing, explains that he's been in this place too. And he asks Sully straight out, who do you stand with? And Sully says that he stands with the truth. Which is, I don't know, I feel like that does kind of culminate what this whole conversation has been about of not having to pick sides and such. It should be about whatever the truth is. And Black Kettle says that that's the only place for a leader to stand, which I think is a pretty high compliment. Yeah. Before that ends, we switch back to town where Brian and Colleen actually climb up on top of the postal office to cut the telegram wire because the townspeople have decided to wire for the army and they just can't possibly (laughs) let that happen. And that's trusting that, you know, Myra attempts correctly to get it through. Not that I'm doubting her abilities. I'm just saying, like, who knows? She could have botched it, too, because... I don't know what her opinion was on it or whatever, but... Another plot point that I kind of felt like when it goes unresolved, like we don't actually see... Do the townspeople think that the army just didn't come or do they think that Myra messed it up? Which makes me feel bad because she was trying to help. Or do do they eventually reveal, oh yeah, by the way, the kids cut the wire... (laughs) Do you think Dorothy knows the way she sits on the edge? I almost feel like she knows the kids are hiding there, but then I'm like, maybe she doesn't. I don't think so. I think it's supposed to be her. She's conflicted over the decision that they've made is kind of how I read it. I couldn't tell. I was like, is she like sitting there because she knows what they've done? And so she's just not saying anything or I couldn't tell. Right. They never actually explain what comes of that. But I guess the good news is they don't completely have to because the conclusion of the council happens in the next scene and this is where i think we have some that filler scenes because they skip over the actual testimonies we go into the council and sully says you've listened to the testimonies of everyone who was there which means horace jake and the other cheyenne who were hunting but we don't actually get to see any of those testimonies. I wanted to hear what Horace said. I wanted to hear Jake confess in front of all of them and, you know, in my ideal world, say, I'm sorry, it was an accident. But we don't get to see any of the testimonies. We just get to see Sully say, you've heard from everyone. And it was an accident and violence breeds violence. At this point, Sully also explains that the army is going to come and kill if this doesn't get resolved. And especially if they decide to kill Jake because Cloud Dancing again says that he must give his life for the life that he took. 
And Cloud Dancing defends it in saying that it's better that a war begin now while they're, you know, strong to fight. And so Sully says, if that's true, okay, here. He takes his knife and he gives it to Cloud Dancing and says, you want to start a war? Start it with me right now. And of course, Cloud Dancing says no and hands the knife back to Sully. And Black Kettle agrees that a war should not be started because as long as, I think this is interesting. He says, as long as one white man will talk to us, we will talk. And so they come to an agreement that to make up for the life that Jake has taken, he should bring horses, food, gifts for the family of Little Eagle, his wife and his children. Not only does Black Kettle say this, but the tribal council agrees that they'll let Jake go, which is kind of a surprise to like Dr. Mike and Sully and Jake, all of them kind of at the same time that it's been agreed on. I don't know if it was a surprise to you. Is that how you thought it was kind of going to be resolved? Mm, part of me thought without starting a war, that's all there was to do. Um, right. I guess unless they like <laughs> held him captive, but that still would have been reason enough, you know, to start a war. So yeah, paying reparations or recompense, that was probably the only way that was going to benefit everyone. I feel like Another point that the writing was a little rushed and that maybe they could have made up some time if they cut out some of the filler scenes would be the whole Sully saying, if you're going to start a war, start it with me. My question is, is he offering to take Jake's place? No. Is he offering his life so that no one's going to retaliate for Sully's death because he offered it? Part of me struggles with the significance of also saying like cloud dancing, can you really can you really kill a man? And that's that's not the question I think he's asking either, right? So I like the idea of it of Sully being willing to sacrifice his own life, but I don't feel like the significance of that moment is clear. And even when Black Kettle stands up, he says anyone who wants to start a war needs to challenge me first. That beat just doesn't hit for me as to what the message is there. I don't know. What What are your thoughts on that? I think I just saw it as, I think he's questioning, do you really, do you really want to start a war? Because I think he knows Cloud Dancing isn't going to grab the knife and stab. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we know that. Like... I don't think for me it really had to do with here's a white man, take the place or anything. I think it was more of a just a challenging among a friend of like, if you say you actually want war, then like, what does that look like? Are you serious? Because I know you're not serious about mm. it. So I agree that it is a little weird and I'm not sure exactly what it's supposed to represent. But I don't think it's weird. I just think it's underdeveloped. I can see that. The next big scene is the last scene, actually, where Jake has brought all of the things that he has been instructed to bring, Little Eagle's family, and it's kind of a little humorous because then Sully says, give him your watch, give them your ring, and he says, my pa gave this to me. <laughs> Sully's so brutal. He's like, thanks to you, her children don't have a yeah. pa. <laughs> I was like, eesh, wow. Don't hold back. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, it's like, Oh, yeah, well, we're going to take the horse, too. <laughs> it's funny because Jake says, how will I get back? And Cloud Dancing is like, you can keep your shoes. <laughs> you can keep the shoes. Yeah. It's very funny. I know this probably bothered you. It was a little weird for me where the whole resolution between Sully and Cloud Dancing is ended by a hand motion and them shaking hands. Yeah. It's like it. 
I think they were trying to resolve that with him not, like, with him just giving the knife back. I think that's right. why it feels weird in the end, because you're like, wait, we didn't really see, are, are they okay? I guess they're okay, but I don't really know why they're okay. <laughs> yeah. Part of me is like, they're boys. That's what boys that's do, right? True. They're like, oh, yeah, whatever, man. Like, okay. <laughs> it's all I love good. You, bro. <laughs> We're good. Yeah. Obviously, Jake kind of starts to walk back, and Dr. Mike, oh, I didn't mention, but Dr. Mike and the kids are in the wagon, mm-hmm. and they offer Jake a ride, and he says, no thanks. <laughs> and it is disappointing to see him not remorseful, yeah. but I think I would have been more critical if he had been, like, you know, done a 360 of, like, I made a mistake. I would have been like, that's not Jake. It isn't. Um, and maybe that's why it's not as satisfying that we didn't get to see the testimonies. Because I feel like at least Horace could have offered an apology on behalf. Like, mm-hmm. not that I'm saying it's Horace's job to do that. But I think Horace could very clearly say it was an accident. We didn't see the man. We were scared and then I got shot and then I didn't know what to do except to run. And that wasn't what I wanted to do. There could have been a way where even if, yeah, if you want to stick with this narrative that Jake is not remorseful. Yeah. At least we could feel or that the Cheyenne could feel some form of regret and a taking of responsibility. Like we did the wrong thing. We didn't get to see this whole conflict through to its resolution, which is real life, but less satisfying in a in a storytelling aspect. Right. Yeah, so the episode ends with Sully being thankful that the army wasn't called to be involved, and Brian and Colleen reveal, oh, well, actually they did call the army, but we prevented it from happening. How can you not love Dr. Mike's like, that's so dangerous and illegal. <laughs> and Colleen's like, well, you would have done the same thing. And Sully's like, yeah, she would have. She's right, which is funny. And it's cute. Yeah. I think that last scene's probably my favorite. Not just that one, but like the mm-hmm. even Jake. Because it is, sure, it's kind of humorous, but we have some sort of resolution between Sully and Clown dancing, even if it's not super satisfying. Yeah. But I think also finally we see Jake, even if he's not enjoying it, finally doing something to make up for his transgressions which i think is good because we spend the whole episode just watching him be a total jerk face so i think probably that last scene is seems like multiple things resolved but everybody stays true to themselves including cloud dancing and sully including the kids including jake even if that means he's a jerk so yeah there are consequences for his actions yep your favorite scene off the top of my head I'm split between Black Kettle saying that standing with the truth is the only place a leader can stand to Sully. I also, I did like the little cutaway scene where even though Sully and Dr. Mike are not on the same page as far as their view on the situation, that they do feel comfortable to support each other and be good listeners. I think that's the key to true friendship or really any relationship in this episode they had this beat where it's like yeah we don't exactly agree right now but I still care about you and I still want you to feel heard by me and I still want you to know that your thoughts and your feelings and the things that are important to you are also still important to me yeah I agree so ranking where do we want to put this on the list 
This is a very Sully-centric episode, which we don't have very many of those, and especially we don't have ones where it's him alone as a character versus, like, him and Dr. Mike growing together. You know what I mean? Yeah. The episode that I kind of feel like this is similar in style to would be Running Ghost. Okay. Because it's Sully being trying to be that mediator and stand up for the Cheyenne and also trying to make people see the consequences of their actions. What do you think? I can get on board with that, I think. Well, what were you thinking as a, for as a whole about this episode? I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I think it has better character development than a lot of other episodes. It has... The conflict's good. It's very high tension. Yeah. High stakes. Yeah, and I agree that I like that it's Sully-oriented. <laughs> because, yeah, we've seen him be in the middle, and I think we've had those conversations of, like, that must be hard, but we've never seen it be too hard for him. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, so what number do you have Running Ghost at? Running Ghost on our multi-season list is actually pretty high. It's number seven. Okay. And it would be right under the Great American Medicine show. I can agree with that. I can, seriously, I feel okay about yeah. that. What that also means then is that this is our highest ranked season two episode so far. Do you feel that way about it? Um, no, yeah. I mean, I think it's more, cons- I'm trying to think of the last three episodes. Halloween, Sanctuary, and The Race. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'd probably watch it before I'd watch probably two of those three. So, yeah. <laughs> you like the race. Yeah. Yeah. But but it, they're so different, right? That one's like so humorous. Yeah. And I mean, it, it has, I don't know, I feel like there's more medicine involved. So I feel like that's why I feel that way. But actually, this one, yeah, didn't have much medicine. Well, and that's because it wasn't focused on Dr. Mike as much. That's probably why. <laughs> right. Yep. The incident... Do you think the titles are like, they don't think of the title. They're just like, oh, this is episode number, whatever. They probably, you know, they don't film them usually in order. So they're usually like filming multiple episodes at one time or something. And then they're like, what should we call this? You know, there's two lines in this one scene about an incident. (laughs) Should we call it that? Yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably something like that. Anyway. All right. Well, what are we going to look at next episode? Saving souls. Ooh, we get Johnny Cash returning. Oh, really? He back already? More tuberculosis. <laughs> Why yep. did you say that like that? Also, I'm gonna say I'm excited for the next episode, but six six is a two-parter. I freaking love that episode. So I'm very excited about nice. that. Well, we will look forward to that. Don't forget, you can send in your lessons for the incident and we will share them on our next episode. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not A Lady, a Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also enjoy visiting our website, www.notaladypodcast.com. Weebly.com. There, you will find important resources and content related to Not A Lady Podcast. You can also write to us with lessons or comments on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages, or by sending an email to notaladypodcast at gmail.com. You can support our podcast by liking and sharing our content on social media, 
or by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss our next episode.